You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcombe and I'm here with my friend Fred Long. Fred, how's it? Hey, doing really good. Good to be back uh, with you and looking at Galatians. It's been it's been a while since we've recorded, and thanks for filling in with some other excellent podcasts. Yeah, yeah, the podcast is really taking off. It's doing uh, great, so I'm thrilled about that, and um, it's it's really fun to watch the the numbers climb daily and and really weekly. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of cool to see that. Yeah. Um, so thanks to everybody who's listening. Yeah, make make sure you help spread the word for us. Um, but yeah, as you said, Fred, we're in Galatians. We don't want to waste time, so let's get to that. We're actually at Galatians 3.17 is where we're picking up. And I'll go ahead and read that, and then uh, we'll do some the usual some of the usual stuff, grammar, syntax, context, theology, all that stuff. Uh, here's what it sounds like uh, in Greek. Tuto de lego, the athekin pro ke kriomenin yupotuthu o meta tetrakosia ke triakonda ete ye gonos nomos akiru katargesetin epangelian. That's a little bit of a tongue twister uh, there in the middle. Yeah, yeah. This is a really interesting verse. In terms of the grammar, it uh, begins with a tuta de lego, which is, um, and this I say. So Paul is drawing attention to the communicative act by saying this. Like he didn't need to say, and I'm saying this. Uh, so yeah, it's a way to right. kind of capture, kind of refocus the, the audience's attention. This is called a meta comment. Like a parent will say something like, look, I'm going to tell you this one time. Yeah. You better <laughs> you listen. Uh, yeah. Listen up. Yeah. So there's different types of meta comments, but they're always to help draw attention to what follows. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, probably just a great dissertation study would be looking at different types of meta comments used and what kind of uh, implications that they have for discerning tone or relative importance of the topic and these kinds of things. So this one is just Lego. You know, I'm saying this. So tuto, uh, so de uh, is the post-positive, de, which indicates a new development. So there's a kind of a next that's happening here, next development. The tuto um, is forward-pointing. So tuto is the demonstrative pronoun. A lot of times we think of demonstrative or any pronoun really as having antecedents that is referring to what has gone before. But really, uh, rel- uh, pronouns can also refer to what comes afterwards and what we would call as a postcedent. And that's what's happening here is the two-toe has, is really projecting forward to uh, see what Rungi would call it, the target. So it's a forward, forward-pointing reference. So this is both a meta-comment drawing attention to what's being said as well as teeing it up with a forward-pointing uh, pronoun. And so it's interesting. I mean, you, you and I have talked before about uh, recitative OT, 
for example. Yeah. It's interesting that whole principle of you, you choose to say something one way and, and oh, sorry, the dog's going crazy. You choose to say something one way and not another, but yeah. you know, why not do the whole recitative OT thing here? Like every time. Um, well, um, yeah. yeah. Why not every time? It may be that, that the two toe, this doesn't work really well with recitative OTs. I don't know. Or that might be another degree of prom of making it prominent, like even more. Well, I'm saying OT instead of tuto, but you know, like yeah. Well, he'd it's... he'd have to have he'd have to use yeah. I say like Lego the OT. Yeah, <laughs> Lego the OT. Yeah. Well, here Levinson would he would he noted that the OT those recitative OTs occur at the end of conversation. But I've found them in the middle for, for prominent yeah. advice. Yeah. But if what he's saying is you know, there may be some element of truth to it, then maybe that's also another factor is where is it located in the in the conversation. And maybe the medi- this is- medial instances, oh, the instances where it does occur in the middle of a conversation, maybe that is kind of like a, a discourse, discourse marker, like that stage of the argument is done right and then the conversation oh that's really fascinating yeah that's fascinating to think that way this is paul's third time in the letter doing the explicit lego yeah Lego. he did it in one nine he did it a couple verses back in 315 yeah and he does it here and he's gonna do it at least four uh three more times in the letter yeah. you know after this yeah yeah there's a lot so here. one one in almost every chapter yeah yeah and he's just used Le- lego to refer to scripture um, or like trying to convey what scripture says, you know, it doesn't say this, but it says this. So is yeah. there some sense in which Paul's speech is at the level of scripture? In other words, scripture is mm-hmm. saying things, he's saying things, um, you know, his word, you know, what is Paul's word in relation to scripture? And I think he did, did have a pretty high esteem of his word. There's a lot of speech that's going on. And so uh, what, he's going to be speaking about is then uh, what follows the fourth word in diathekane. And that's actually accusative. Uh, so that's a direct object. So we have a, a, a change of word order. Typically Greek shows a VSO word order that is verb subject object word order. And here we're, we're beginning with an object. Okay. So there's something uh, some kind of stress going on here. And uh, so the covenant having been ratified by God, the law having come 430 years after does not nullify in order to invalidate the promise. So that's how I would translate that. So in other words, the law uh, having come that that has come 430 years after does mm-hmm. not nullify the covenant um, ratified yes. by God um, in order. To, yeah. The promise, yeah. the promise of the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. So the covenant um, had been ratified. Yeah. So, so there's stress on this ratification, this covenant that has been ratified. So then you have the upo to the by God, 
um, is a lot of showing agency. The hupo with the genitive indicates agency. And then you have the article O, which is in a big sandwich with nomos. So the O mm. is followed by the meta and then uh, a gegonos. Those are two modifying um, modifiers that are sandwiched in between the article and the noun that it belongs with. So O nomos goes together. And in between those two right. is found these two modifying expressions having occurred after 430 years. So that's that whole phrase is the subject. And then, and then you get to the verb, which is negated, does not revoke. Uh, the- and so obviously he, he's pointing back to like Genesis 15, 17, uh, Genesis 15 and 17 here, right? Yeah. Where, where God uh, forges a covenant with Abram yeah. and and then we get the idea in Exodus right uh 430 years later we get the mosaic law so the point being yeah. and and I would I would say like this verse right here the- theologically is at it, it might be like the foundation stone of Paul's entire Christian worldview if if we can like word it that way, mm-hmm. this, this right here, I think is, is where like the light bulb went off for him or the, the switch flipped, you know, yeah. uh, this recognition. Yeah. So he's, he's looking at the order of salvation history. What is the order? Mm-hmm. And the order is promise first covenant and promise and then the law. And so the law is a, a, a later development in the process. And he's saying that the, the coming of the law, that is this uh, covenant um, in which the law was given does not invalidate the initial promise. So this idea of the mm-hmm. promise coming um, is found earlier in chapter three, where it, it says uh, that the promise, no, the gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham and uh, so there's something real special that's happening with Abraham. A- a- with Abraham is associated like the special covenant, is associated the promise, and is associated the gospel. So these are all uh, kind of merging together in Paul's mind. And, and it goes back to Abraham. So Abraham is the father, and he's really doing kind of an end around of what was normally being stressed, and that is we need to be the people of the Torah of this instruction. And this is our basis of existence is we have to follow the Torah, the law, uh, which of course, Genesis is a part of that law. But then for people, it came down to observing particular uh, things in the law as, as a basis of our identity and really a basis of God's of being in relationship to God is based on our, following and obeying the law. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, there's yeah, interesting. that was going on prior to that. Yeah. For me, I mean, I'm very, um, you know, I'm preaching through Mark right now. I'm a, very much a proponent of the fact that Jesus, Jesus didn't poo poo the law. Jesus wasn't down on the law. He wasn't beating up on it. He actually fulfills the law and, I would argue that in Mark, everything he says and does is actually consonant with the law. I don't agree with the scholars and commentators who are always trying to say that 
uh, Jesus is ushering in this entirely new thing and that Jesus is undermining the law. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's actually upholding it. And the majority of the time he's saying, no, like, you know, so the people are criticizing mainly the scribes and the, the Pharisees who, who are, who have this view that Jesus is, is undermining the law. Yeah. Jesus is turning the tables right back on them and saying, actually, you guys are the ones that are undermining the law. I'm, I'm upholding it. Um, so I, yeah, I would want to be just really parse my words carefully. I just preached on this yesterday. Um, yeah. You know, like uh, Mark two eighteen to twenty eight, where Jesus is talking about wineskins and uh, putting new wine in new wineskins and yeah. uh, that that sort of thing. And like a hundred percent of commentators on that are are typically saying that this is sort of Jesus against the law, Jesus in contradistinction to the law. And my argument is it actually has zero to do with the law <laughs> um, in, in that instance. But yeah. I think for me, when when I read this, like I really want to do justice to the law and say, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a great thing, a beautiful thing. It reveals the goodness of God. Um, nevertheless, it isn't what saves. Yeah, it isn't what saves. And for Paul, there was a message and a promise bigger than the law that came before it. And and links to, yes. and and that links to the blessing to the nations and he has already talked about exactly. that earlier in chapter 3 so yeah so for him it's a matter of salvation priority and and what what is god's what is god really getting at now jesus himself said that the law was given as a concession like the law in terms of the the ability to divorce you know, because they, they tried to corner him and said, is it legal to divorce or not? Or is it right? Or is it okay? And he said, uh, well, Moses said you could do it. You you know that. Yeah, and Mark That was a concession yeah. to your hard heart. So um, what that means is really that the law in some sense was kind of meeting the people where they were and working with them in a certain way. But that wasn't the goal. And then in Romans, he's able to say the law is good and spiritual and holy. Even at the end of this letter, he says we're still under the law. He just calls it the law of Christ, right? Um, the the law reaches its pinnacle, I think, in Christ. And so I think there is still some sense which we are absolutely under law, even if it looks slightly different. But I mean, back to the point you were making uh, with with Abraham, the promises that uh, the good news extends to all nations and peoples. Yeah. And that the, the problem with what was going on at this time, I think, is that you had factions of Jews or Judeans, however you want to say that, who were using the law as an identity marker to exclude Gentiles or the nations, and Paul's saying, Hold the phone. The promise to include the nations came before the law, so That's right. you're wrong. Yeah, looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level. We here at Glosa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit GlosaHouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glosa House, language resources for the global community.
Yeah. All right. Igar ek nomo e kleronomia uk eti ex epelias to de Avram di epengelias ke hariste otheos. All right. Wow. Four. If the inheritance was from law, no longer is it from promise. Moreover, to Abraham, God has graced through the law, or God has graced Abraham through the promise. I mean, yeah, God yeah, has shown go. favor or, or acted graciously to Abraham through the promise. So we have a translation, yeah. uh, a conditional sentence, E, E, and um, there's no, it's a verbless clause. The if part is the subordinate clause, and then it's followed by the main clause, but both clauses are verbless. So we have to supply um, a, a verb, and typically uh, a good place to start is, is to supply some form of the verb to be, e me. Mm-hmm. To be now, the tense, you know, is probably depends on what kind of condition uh, we understand this to be. It, I kind of want to take it as a uh, what's called a contrary to fact condition, but and, and what that would that would normally entail would be a form of on. We'd be seeing an on somewhere, a n uh, alpha nu. Which, which helps mm. mark that condition. But we don't see that. We don't see that. that that's usually found in contrary to fact conditions. In other words, uh, Greek could, could speak conditional sentence in such a way that it was communicated that this is not a true reality. But for the sake of argument, I'm making it. So if, if it's, if you could translate it this way, for if, uh, the inheritance were from the law, which it wasn't, then no longer would it be on the basis of promise, which it is. Mm. But we don't have that on marking it. I think what that does is it makes this more a matter of fact. And um, I think it makes it the condition a bit more forceful. So for if, if indeed... If indeed the inheritance was from the law, no longer would it be from promise, period. So he's stating it in a way that it makes the logic less um, less privileged, and so it becomes more of a bald uh, statement for their consideration. Yeah, that's my thought on that. When we're talking about Eclerinomia, the inheritance, what do you view is the inheritance? I mean, what's interesting, and I'm just looking at the the words here, maybe you can you can speak about this as well, but right, nomos, you have nomu eclerinomia. You have the that nomos Again. kind of idea going on in, in both um, is it like a, a legal inheritance? I mean, what, what do you mean by inheritance? Well, um, yeah, I think what's at stake is literally inheritance. 
remember, uh, and it has to do with like lineage. Who who has claim to lineage? Yes, the Abrahamic lineage. Yes. So remember, in three fifteen, Paul says, uh, "Siblings, I'm speaking to you in her human terms." And then uh, I suggested then that in what follows, Paul is going to be developing arguments by by way of ana- uh, analogies to human relationship. So it begins with a will or a covenant. It moves to now inheritance, and then it's going to move um, in, in other ways, uh, eventually talking about uh, tutors and heirs and being grown up like in chapter four. So I think he's uh, looking at this issue by way of uh, analogies. And and here he's moving um, to, to talk about inheritance. Like, um, yeah, I think it has to do with just essentially being a part of the father's household. And we talked before about like blessing, you know, the old Testament concept of blessing. That's what, what it means to be blessed. According to old Testament, in my view is that you, you are part of the father's household exile or not blessed or cursed really is the opposite of that so the inheritance is essentially that you are part of the father's family and household and i don't know if i'd go so as far as to say is that what's the father's is the son's but um i think that that i've heard a lot of preachers like use that as a homiletical sort of point and feel like that's a huge stretch but uh, I do think like this is being able to claim standing in the father's household and also standing as a family member of the father's lineage. Yeah. And so here, yeah. um, Abraham is in fact in the lineage of God. God is, is gracing, giving grace to him and it's giving grace to him precisely through the promise. So the promise, which is that he is going to uh, be a blessing to the nations. Yes. Be fruitful, multiply, bless, bless them and they'll bless the nations. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's the promise. What does that mean to bless the nations? It means to bring the nations into the father's household. (laughs) Yeah. To welcome them in to, to uh, share with them God's history of saving grace with them and and so that they too can worship God um the true God yes. and and not false uh gods and idols. I, I'm I'm teaching an old testament course this semester and I finish up tomorrow actually. Uh but one of the things I've just been hammering home like week after week is this language of blessing and prosperity. And so, you know, I was telling them last week, look, if y'all don't remember anything that I've said this semester, remember blessing has to do with being in, in the father's household and prosperity, which has gone so just off the rails. When we read that language of favor or prosperity, literally that has to do like with one's own offspring. It doesn't have to do with cars or houses or to prosper in in Old Testament perspective, 
is to bear offspring. Yeah. yeah, to bear offspring that will be godly, yeah. and then they will bear offspring that'll be godly. And before you know it, you have this huge offspring of godly people. And so, I mean, we need to just recover this. What do we mean when we say blessed, and what do we mean when we say prosper, or really what the Old Testament mean? Because that that's what we need to mean when we say it. Yeah, and so um, in other words, these are biblical ideas. But the question, of course, is always, what do they mean? What yes. do they mean? What is what is the meaning of of blessing and and prosperity and that? So having godly children, yeah, and just having children doesn't mean that they'll be godly. Yes. <laughs> and just right. and the exactly. other thing is, just because you don't have children doesn't mean that you're unblessed. In the Old Testament, there are examples of people who don't have children, and and if, but of course, then there's like a a very miraculous thing that happens. Um, with, with the coming of children. But, but I, I guess the fact that there was a stigma on people who didn't have children um, just goes to show that it was understood that um, having them was, was indeed a blessing of God. In the new Testament, this, that idea I think is, mm-hmm. is, is challenged and expanded yeah. and, and great value is given to singleness actually. And, you know, Jesus mm-hmm. himself was single and the Apostle Paul was single, although he probably, I think, was married at one point. Genesis is obsessed with, with be fruitful, multiply, fill the land. Yeah. You know, this is what it means to prosper. Like that is the obsession of Genesis. Yeah, that's what Abraham and Sarai are. Yeah, Abram and Sarai are—they're literally obsessed with that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think. Uh, that that turns a corner when we get to the New Testament, and I think it is able to turn a corner uh, precisely uh, because Paul has his salvation history ducks in a row. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and so of uh, course Galatians, as we will see, as we have seen and will see as we wrap up today, uh, is about belonging to Abraham's family which is really God's family. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, do you have a parting shot for us today? Yeah, this is from A.A. Um, a. Milne. People say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. <laughs> well, thanks, Fred. Appreciate the insight and time. Yeah, you, you, thanks to you too. And everybody, thanks for listening to our podcast. And we look forward to having you listen to us next time. Take care.